G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As you may be aware, one of the most exciting and adventurous elements of being involved in the mission of God is taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And it's when you're a pilot in a mission aircraft flying into the world's riskiest airfields that you could feel a little uneasy about your calling. Well, Mission Aviation Fellowship does this risky work every day, whether it's in the mountains of Papua New Guinea, over jungles, swamps of zones that are full of political unrest, even potentially war zones. They're involved in life-saving work, doing medical evacuations and opening doors for the gospel. Ian McDougall is the CEO of MAF in Australia, and Ian's joining us. Hello, Ian. Welcome back to 2020. Well, thank you very much, Neil, and appreciate your time. Ian, let us in on some of the challenging work that MAF does. When we think of Mission Aviation Fellowship, we're aware that there are a fabulous bunch of missionary pilots, but we're not always aware just how dangerous and how risky their work is. Yeah, so so what happens with MAF is that where the places we work are really isolated and in areas where where people need hope brought to them. And I, if I use the example of Papua New Guinea, you know, the, the places we go to in, in Papua New Guinea up in the Highlands, some of the airstrips are 11 degrees. And a pilot's got to bring an aircraft in, land it, and then spend time with the, the local people, and then turn around and fly back out again. Now, what happens in that is that I'll use an example of we take medical workers into the field. A part of a medevac process is taking people in. So just recently, we transported over 360 kilos of medical supplies, including malaria tablets and other medical equipment for clinics that the field workers do. We fly those field workers in, they spend time with the village people, they check them over, they give the medical supplies to the elders, then they're distributed through those villages and local areas, then we turn around and fly back out again. And that's part of the, the work that we do on a daily basis, bringing hope to the remote. But also part of that medical supply is we have the opportunity to bring Bible lit stories in and literature in their own language, which helps them to hear about God and the gospel. Interesting, I can sort of hear the brains rattle of a few listeners who'd be saying, well, why isn't the Papua New Guinean government doing those sorts of things, taking the medical supplies into hospitals? But it's the mission stations, and sometimes over many decades, that have established those hospitals, and they're largely responsible for bringing in the personnel and bringing in the supplies as well. Is that the case? That is correct. Also, the Papua New Guinea government doesn't have a lot of money for infrastructural costs. And if you think about these villages, they're sometimes a 20-minute flight from Mount Hagen or a four-day drive. And so the government can't afford in their, in their limited budgets to be able to do this. So the missionaries and the, and the churches have built these hospitals and assisted the clinics. 
And what we call a hospital is sometimes two rooms with a bed and a couple of chairs and a fridge if there's electricity where we can keep or an icebox where we can keep medical supplies in them. Ian, uh, the sort of work that gets done by those medical professionals who are on the mission field, and sometimes they're, they're on the field because they are missionaries, other times I imagine because uh, they're nationals and they're doing their job, but uh, there's all sorts of things that need attending to. Uh, sometimes emergency medical evacuations, that's a part of the work that MAF's involved in as well. Oh, absolutely. And we have that. So one of the things that we do in all of our areas where we land we have worked with CRMF, who does radio setups right throughout Papua New Guinea. And so at each one of our bases, we have a HF radio system. And so they can call in and call through to the home base and call in a medivac. And so if, for an example, um, Luke Mule just recently, one of our pilots, was on flight and he, he got a call from home base saying that there was a medivac. A young lady was pregnant she'd walked four days from her village to the to the base and then he flew in flew her to the to mount hagen where she went into a clinic she had the baby both are now safe and well the exciting part was that luke's wife actually got to meet the mum and the baby got to spend time with them each of the mums in our area also built what's called a a medivac kit which includes some nappies includes some booties includes some creams and gels and just healthy stuff to start these children off in a good life. And then they, they get an opportunity to fly back again. And those flights are subsidised by MAF. And so the donors and the sponsors that give their dollars, that's how we get them flown in and out. And that's the key thing. And I want to thank all your people out there who do sponsor us for that. In some sense, MAF is a little bit like a hub for these type of ministries all working together because we can take it for granted, can't we, just how much safer it is to have a baby here on our shores in Australia. But when you're having a baby and you've come out of the jungle or some pretty, in some ways you'd call it primitive living circumstances in Papua New Guinea, the risk in having a baby is pretty significant. But all these ministries coming together, not only you guys flying the planes, but bringing in the midwife or the doctor and then the supplies and then somebody's supplied some sort of a, a baby pack, it all goes to making that particular woman so much more secure in having her baby. Is that the way it sort of works? Yes, and that is so true. Uh, one of the things that the statistics that we look at at the moment is that for every 25 babies born in PNG, one of them does not survive their first year. And so that pushes us as MAF and all of the workers that we work with, the health workers, the clinic workers, the mums and the dads who put these baby packs together, is that we want to see that statistic disappear. We want to see 25 children born and 25 children survive. And so that's a statistic that we see, and you don't see that in, in the Western world, but you do see it in places like Papua New Guinea. And so that pushes us and strives us to be on the edge and ready to be called. Each of our aircraft are fitted with, um, with life-saving products and, and medical gear that we can carry, and, there, and then all our, all our pilots are trained in first aid, and all of our wives and, and husbands who are married to these pilots are also trained in first aid and can assist in any way, shape or form. I was just recently in Papua New Guinea and 
there was a man who had been out farming with his machete and like you and I, we don't we have equipment that does the harvesting. He had a machete and he slipped and cut through his arm. Now that is a deathly accident. But we were able to get a call in, fly an aircraft in, take him to a clinic, get his arm stitched up, get him onto some antibiotics and some tetanus shots straight away and malaria tablets and he is now back after six months back working in the farm. Still with his machete, but with his arms, both arms working. And that's a good luck story. It is. And, you know, oftentimes I think we don't think of being on the edge like your guys are at MAF. And uh, I'm sure that many listeners to our conversation today didn't realise that MAF pilots uh, weren't just standing off if there is an emergency, but they're already trained in first aid and able to lend a hand wherever they can. And sometimes uh, they might be the best trained person there, no doubt. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's where the key is, that, that our guys are, are there because God's called them to be there. And so they train up and they, they spend a lot of time in, in training and learning and then living in community to understand community and understand what can happen and how they can help. And so there's times when they'll give you, they could be flying and they have to make a, a split decision as to whether they continue on the path or do an alternate run and go and do a medivac. And of course, if they have the capability and the weight load capacity, they will turn around. And I've seen pilots where they've actually dropped passengers off and said, excuse us, can you stay overnight in this village because we need to get this person back to a clinic. It's more important. Ian, always interested in how you go about getting a pilot on or into the air. I was going to say on the ground, but uh, really with you guys, it's the opposite with that. But it's not a really, it's not just a, a switch one on and they're up and operational. There's no, no doubt a, a quite a significant training program to become an MAF pilot uh, or one of the support workers. What sort of process do you put people through when you're recruiting? So when we, when we recruit um, pilots and engineers and ground staff, we go through a process of, the uh, first thing we do is look at their skill sets, what the skill sets are. If they're, if they're looking to be a pilot, there is a training school up in Mariba called MAFTC, and that will put you through bush piloting and come out the other end as a bush pilot, and, uh, and that gives you piloting skills, and then we take you from there and put you into programs where you learn to fly, and then when you... Once you've done about a 1,000 hours flying, you'll be able to fly in Papua New Guinea or some of the other areas. So the harder the, the country, the more hours of flying you need. For engineering, we have an apprenticeship program, and people can start off as an apprenticeship, or they can come in from other areas. We've had motor mechanics who have flipped over to become engineers, aircraft engineers, and uh, so they go through that process. For each one of them, we look at a couple of things. Firstly is their spirituality. Are they following God? Have they got a calling to be there? Because we are asking a person to go out for four years onto a field as a missionary and to work in a professional business where they're flying, they're building and repairing aircraft, and they're doing it in remote regions. The other thing is we go through a psychological process. We make sure that they're, they're prepared and their family, because it could be we're not just taking on the pilot. We're taking on the pilot and his partner or her partner, depending on the pilot. We're taking on the children and we move them out just like a missionary family and they move into an area and they live there and they become part of that community. And part of the, the process of being in communities, not only are they working, but we also want them to be part of the local church, to be part of the local community in the kids' club and all those sorts of things so that they can share God's love and the gospel 
to all of those there. Uh, you truly do need to have some preparation to be able to tick all the boxes that you're looking for when you are recruiting. But yep. just great insights today, Ian, uh, in regards to MAF and those medical evacuations and uh, the idea of being there to support uh, women, say, in Papua New Guinea who've had a baby. I- I'm also aware that there's all sorts of involvements with earthquake relief and rehabilitation needs from a little earlier this year. You guys were right at the heart of all of that. Absolutely. Well, what happens with an earthquake is, uh, in the one that Papua New Guinea we, we can talk about, is the first thing the government needs to do survey to understand where the devastation is and what's happened because uh, Papua New Guinea is so isolated and we're able to pick up those survey people. We take survey photos, we fly across the devastated areas, we look at the access points, we look at where landing strips are still intact and how far the landing strip is from where the first responders need to be, and then look at the logistics of how we can get them there. That's the first component. The second component, then, is working with the other not-for-profit organisations that are doing the medical work, so the doctors, the clinicians, the eye specialists, uh, the house builders, all of those people that go in and just transport water even, how are they going to get them there and what are they going to do? And so we then put resources behind that so they can do it. It's logistics, it's planning, it's processing, it's making sure that the right responders get to the right locations. And then if there's a way of getting them to as close as possible where they can cut down, say, a four-day trek to a half-a-day trek because we've got them on the right location or the right top part of the mountain um, to do their work and then be able to get them out again. And then we follow that up because once we get the first responders in, to know what what product and what services they need, whether it be food or water or medical equipment, we fly those in accordingly. Uh, well, Ian, uh, just tremendous hearing the stories and uh, just to know that you guys are the wings to the hands and feet of so many mission organisations and uh, you're also supportive of government initiatives as well and uh, certainly those who are undergoing medical crisis. Uh, there you are yeah. right at the heart of all of that. Look, I'll point people to the website because inevitably uh, someone will be listening who will want a little bit more detail about how they might become a ministry with MAF, Mission Aviation Fellowship. It's maf.org.au, maf.org.au. Ian McDougall is the Australian CEO. Ian, thanks so much for taking some time today to share your thoughts with us on 2020. Thank you very much, and let me thank all of your people for all of the work that they do in their field and keeping us up in the air. We thank you for that, and may God bless your day. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.